Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe, the podcast series for beginner web developers and general web enthusiasts. Now, introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another um, 61-minute edition of the <laughs> podcast Three Devs and a Maybe. We'll explain the 61. Do you guys get the 61-second reference? I don't, actually. I was worrying, thinking, oh no, we've got to be bang on the mark now, 61, or else this episode is defunct. All will be explained, all will be explained. Yeah, welcome to the award-winning podcast. We haven't won any awards, but it sounds pretty cool today. Yeah, I know, I always say that. I'm, I'm the <laughs> My mum says that we're the best podcast that she's ever listened to. So <laughs> yeah, mine too, mine too. They've got a fan club. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, I'm your host this week, Lewis Keynes. Hello, everyone. Nice to be with you, and I'm joined this week by... Amazingly, uh, all four of us are here. Let's go around them and introduce them. First of all, we have the artist formerly known as Ed the Player Man. Hello. We have the artist who formerly had hair, Michael Budd. <laughs> Michael, three mile Bud, or Michael 2.7 mile Bud, depending on how he's feeling on the day. And uh, the artist who formerly used to be one of our co-hosts, Fraser Hart, has returned. I know. Hello. Woo. It has been a long time. How are you doing? You haven't uh, kind of found a, a younger, hotter-looking podcast that talks to you about things that we don't talk about, have you? No, I've got. My, I'm been? keeping my eyes out for it, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, I've not. Yeah, I've not found anything, so I've come crawling back. <laughs> How are you, sir? You keeping? Keeping? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, and it's an absolute pleasure seeing you lot as well because it's obviously it's been a while since we've all four of us got together either virtually or in in real life. So, and it's nice to see your new uh, house as well, Lewis. Uh, what can you see from where you are? Just well, I can see a couch and a door, but it's it's all new because last time I spoke to you, you weren't living there. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I'm in Wharton Bassett now. This is well, apart I- from what's IKEA finest. All this assembled oh, by good. my good fair hands and still in one piece, thankfully. Good. Are you all happy down there? Yeah, it's all going very well, thanks. It's uh, it's nice oh. being down in the West Country. It's very, very chilled out and relaxed yeah. and the accent's coming along slowly and i'll be there in a minute but not quite, not quite yet do you get funny do you get funny looks like when you when you go to the pubs like and they say oh he's from up country or is it is it up country they call it or is I that do, I've, always, I've always had funny looks so <laughs> right, okay, yeah. i wouldn't know any different at least so it's just, something legit this time so i just explain the 61 minute comment uh earlier on this week mr michael budd uh, sent us a message on WhatsApp saying, have you guys seen the tweet that we've just been sent telling oh, us that yeah. we were um, we were nominated, well, not nominated, I don't think it's an award or anything, but Despreneur.com has voted us their number one graphic design podcast. It's very humbling and, and uh, uh, a privilege. Out of the four of us, out, can we all just put our hands up who are graphic designers? Oh, I, I, I think I think even in audio you can see that that's just tumbleweed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it's a, it's an honour. And uh, I was before we came online, I had a quick look on the on the link, and it said the host of the podcast released a new released a new episode every ten days with a yes. duration of sixty one minutes. I have a feeling that this was maybe auto generated. <laughs> yeah. I have. Yeah. yeah, I think it probably was sixty one oh, average minutes. Well, that, thank you for the stats, though. That web, that website, you know, it's good to know. So yeah. annoying. That one had gone in the family newsletter and everything. So, <laughs> yeah. and if they've done it on averages and they've downloaded every single episode, then we thank them for the extra yeah. stats they've given us. Absolutely, you know, as stuff. long as it was on a unique IP address, that's all we care about. Exactly. Don't be yeah. sharing IPs. You know, go with a unique one. We like bumping our stats. <laughs> 
So yeah, so I saw that, so I just thought I'd share that. So yeah. how how is everyone who sh- who wants to go first? Let's go with Fraser. We haven't. Yeah, spoken I think you got to go, go Fraser first. first. Oh, put me on the spot. Absolutely, yeah. Fraser. What have you been doing with yourself the past when, couple of months, man? When did we last hear? Well, I don't know. I think it must have been November the last time I, I actually managed to come on, um, or sometime around then. Anyway, but it's just been a good few months. I'm still working the same job in London that I was working last time we spoke. Um, I did get a promotion, which kicked into into play this month. So I've gone from being a senior developer to, oh, sorry, a senior web app developer to lead web app. Fantastic for me. Very nice. Um, and yeah, just just really enjoying developing at the moment. It's, everything seems to be falling into place, and I kind of. I think we've spoken about imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff, and I go through bouts of having that and not having that, and I currently don't have it, which is which is a good thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not moving into management or anything like that. Like I don't want to do go that route, but it's uh, it's it's kind of it. Just I'm not too too short to be honest. Um, I, I came on as a senior web app developer and the lead web app developer. We've, we've just opened a new office up in Newcastle, so. The, the lead web app developer has moved himself and his family up to uh, up to Newcastle. Um, so there was a, an opportunity for a lead web app developer, and yeah, the company kindly selected me to to fill that role, which is fantastic. Um, so I'll be taking on a bit more responsibility in terms of specking out projects and and general day to day stuff. Um, but yeah, it will still be a hell of a lot of uh, of coding, which is good. That's awesome. And do you, so are you in charge of some people then, or do you, are you kind of like lead as in like it's just a title and you just carry on with what you're doing, but you yeah, have these extra responsibilities? So, yeah, I think it's it's more the latter, to be honest. Yeah, so it's, I'm, I'm carrying on with what I'm doing, but, yeah, with more responsibility, and I'm now kind of the, the go-to person for for the the PMs and, um, and, and the product owners and stuff to come wow. to. Wow, how, how do you like that? It's, it's not too bad, actually. It's, I've not found it too difficult, and it's... The way we do everything very agile and it's all, all really well kind of processed. So there's not a lot of, a lot of that because I, I do enjoy coding and I don't really enjoy the whole, the, the stuff around it. Um, and I'm still doing more coding than anything else. And it's, yeah, it's really good. And I'm working on some really interesting stuff. And so it's, it's been fantastic. It's been good fun. Can I ask how the agile thing works? This is something I see banded around a lot. And yeah. Um, well, how is it actually a strategy that you, that you, yeah, it's basically to to give you a very high a very high level overview. It's kind of everything's really specked out. So kind of we we work in two week sprints. So at the start of two weeks, everyone will get together. There'll be a list of requirements. We'll go through and we'll kind of we'll spec out and say, okay, we think this bit's going to take two hours. This will take three days and whatever. And then the project managers or the project owners will come up with a spec of, okay, well by this time in two weeks, we want to have achieved this. Um, and that's one one part of it. And then as another part, we kind of we'll we'll get together once every morning, fifteen minutes, have a chat, so everybody's aware of of what's going on. Um, and when you compare that to kind of obviously we all used to work together at a previous company where it was very different to that it was kind of a new project to come in the door you'd get like a five minute brief um from whoever kind of spec the project out and then it was okay off you go build this project so it's a lot more a lot more structured and it just feels a lot little plug there so <laughs> it just feels a lot less stressful um so yeah which is which is great so at this job i've i've not felt like because i know we had a lot we all had a lot of stress at the the previous job that we worked at because of the the way that projects were spec'd and and what was expected and and kind of the the vagueness about everything whereas this everything is you know exactly what you're doing you know what steps you need to make to achieve it and you don't have this kind of behemoth project thrown on you because everything's broken down into small little milestones manageable well. so chunks like yeah so it's not a case of oh right go and build this e-commerce application for 
some massive company is kind of okay well the first step you need to do is you need to make these wireframes and once you've got the wireframes and you need to implement this and then implement this and everything's kind of measured and broken down so you never feel overwhelmed by anything it's all it's all really nicely managed and mm. yeah it's, it's a just a, a good from a developer point of view it's a really good way of working and i can understand from a high up management point of view it might be quite i don't know like they might kind of look at it and say oh this kind of process around all this this crap just to get to an end product because it, it, i'm sure the meetings and everything kind of take their toll on on deadlines and, and what have you but it just means it's a lot more manageable as a as a project well i think the trouble is is this deadlines that you give are always in in these manager kind of you know kind of centric thing it's, it's always unrealistic so having something like you know uh, agile with that methodologies like scrum and having a kanban board and stuff you can visually see and you can as like with sprints you can kind of chug away slowly ch you know kind of carving out the actual end product as opposed to being like oh yeah we'll get it done next week and it's like no you won't you won't get it done next week and i mean i was actually what i was going to ask um do you use stuff like uh obviously you got like the scrum type things with um the sprints and stuff do you use like a kanban board like a kind of you know like what you're doing now and all that kind we of stuff? have yeah so we've, we've we use redmine um for our kind of our our tracking um so we know what's in development what needs to be in the or what's kind of new what's been spec'd out what's in qa um what's complete and all that kind of stuff so yeah it's, it's a really easy overview to to kind of see what we've we've got going on and what needs to to happen that's great man. and then so with with that then so uh, and also like how much kind of time do you spend like specking out the project at the beginning because I, I do find that is kind of an interesting one where you know you do go between maybe overdoing it i suppose because now you've got more of a managerial manager yeah. role kind of thing like how do you roll with that um it's kind of we, we have a meeting generally once a week we'll have a meeting um with project managers so they can discuss any issues that they've got and any new requirements and what have you um but it's generally not been an issue but obviously it, it, it depends you, you have to it's really hard to to keep control of the meetings because quite often meetings, I guess you all know, go off track. <laughs> meeting they go so far off track. Yeah. So um, my my boss, who's the head of development, he's very good at bringing it like reining everyone in. So if anybody starts to kind of deviate from the point of of what we're talking about, or kind of having technical discussions that the project managers don't need to be privy to, um, he's very good at reining everything in and saying that it's good we're having these discussions, but now it's not the right time for it. And and yeah, it's. It's, it's a good process. Yeah, that's awesome. And I like the tech that you're using. Is so is it's the Angular and front end JavaScript stuff still? You've not dabbled in any of the uh, Java sub. Yeah, we're using um, we're using Backbone as oh, our, right, yep. our major thing. But we're yeah, and we're we're kind of moving the processes across around at the moment, just experimenting with various stuff because we've got a number of web apps which are our kind of our bread and butter at work. Um, so we've got <clears throat> everything is currently written in in Backbone. It was traditionally written on um, or put together with like require js and we're using jasmine for testing um so we're experimenting different things we're, we're going to dive into es 2015 now so we've i've spent um about a week integrate or getting rid of require js and getting rid of grunt and gulp and everything so we're, we're basically doing all our builds directly with uh npm now um and we're also compiling with sorry with browser fi as well then or no with with webpack yeah, uh, webpack. Yeah. So we, yeah, choice. yeah, so we're using webpack, and we're yeah we're, we're compiling everything through Babel now, so yep. we can slowly start integrating ES two thousand fifteen. Um, Web, webpack dead code system. elimination is so cool. Yeah, I've I've still kind of all I think we're only at the basics at the moment. So we've basically we've got three. I think it's spitting out three webpack files um, or three combined bundle files. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, we need to kind of have a look how we can actually pull stuff in on demand. So we're not kind of sending this all down the wire at the first instance, but it's really good and it's interesting and it's, it's kind of, it's good fun to, we'll just experiment as much as anything else like it's yeah is it getting the time to kind of check things out and seeing if it will work and and how it would help improve the team as opposed to kind of like no we know how we're doing it we're, we're sticking to this way and we're not going to yep. change and yeah yeah you're right i mean that just doesn't work i mean and also yep. like with the ES, ES uh 2015 stuff so what stuff do you like out of it is there some like things you really enjoy uh i really like this i like the the shorthand notation for functions that's an obvious one um like using let and I really like the the now we've got sets and maps and mine's gone blank maps yeah that's the one um, I think that's going to really simplify things because how many times you, like especially with having repeated uh, repeated elements in arrays and what have you is like that simple benefit is going to be pretty massive to be honest um, it's just going to take I don't know, take a lot of heavy lifting out of stuff that you actually have to manually process yourself so I really like the idea of that um, but yeah it's it's just as well as much as anything it's nice just kind of knowing that you're working with stuff on the forefront of technology rather than stuff that's kind of two or three years old which is cool it's just crazy to think though that two or three years old is ancient it's scary oh, no. <laughs> yeah completely yeah because backbone was a big thing what in yeah. like 2012 that's it 2012 that's, well, isn't that's, a long time ago yeah. <laughs> yeah like my car's four times older than that <laughs> like, and my car still runs fine <laughs> oh, and other than other than that though have you been like doing because actually i suppose there is one thing eh? a little um, shameless plug for a certain game that's released on the iOS. Oh, there is yeah, iOS yeah. Platform. So, that would have probably oh, yeah. been one of the last yeah. times i no, it wasn't it would have been the the third or fourth previous time that was on so i built a game um in phaser i wanted to set myself a little experiment to see if i could build a, a mobile game in a day um i could but I couldn't actually get it into the app stores within that same day. So on the following weekend, I released it to the um, the Google Play Store. And then I had full intentions of getting it into the app store, but I'd never had enough space on my hard drive to actually install Xcode because I'm only running a MacBook Air with 128 gig SSD. So I kind of put it on the back burner. And then I was having loads of other issues with my Mac, uh, like a couple of, well, yeah, about a week ago, two weeks ago. And as a result, I had to delete a load of stuff and, and freed up a load of space. So I was able to actually get Xcode installed. And I now have uh, Space Beer Cave in the iOS store. It was actually approved at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's live now. So, yeah, I'm and, getting uh, yeah, it as so we speak. Are you really? I am Good indeed. Good stuff. What I'm going to do, I'm going to do another competition, actually, as well, if people don't mind. Because we yeah, had a yeah. when, I, when I released it on um, Android... Uh, yeah, we did a competition. It was kind of whoever tweeted us with a screenshot of the highest score that they've they've scored. Whoever had the high score, I'd send him a t-shirt. So some I can't remember the guy's name, but he won. Sent him a t-shirt. So because and we're still waiting for his picture, picture, though. We're still waiting. I know for this, picture. this picture. Yeah. So if you're listening, um, I can't remember <laughs> your name. I'm sorry. Um, if you're listening, then uh, yes, yeah, we a want a picture of you so with, the, with the t-shirt on. Exactly. No, we do. And so, yeah, because I think he lives in Australia. He's Scottish, I think, but lives in Australia. So if we can get a picture of him in front of like the Opera House or something, that'd be pretty oh, cool. That's yeah, asking yeah. a lot. I, I like that. Not but... Weatherspoon's Opera House in Tumbridge Wells, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Don't touch uh, the yeah, cave so... or you'll die. Don't touch the loose rocks or you'll die. <laughs> it, it's to the point, isn't it? Fantastic. It's, it's yeah. right to the point. I reckon I could pick up this game and roll with it straight away. I think <laughs> you probably could, you know. You're in the running for the competition as well. So the competition is, I'm going to set it for, I'm going to give everybody oh a month. So Sorry. by the 4th of March, um, by the end of play, 4th of March, whoever has sent a screen grab of their high score on iOS, um, yeah, I will send you a three dozen, uh, maybe t-shirt. So tweet your 
um, your high scores to the three devs and maybe Twitter account, which I can't actually tell you what it is. Is it number three? Yeah, number three. Number three. Okay, number three. Devs and maybe. Wow, you've changed. Uh, on Twitter, yeah. <laughs> tweet us your pictures. <laughs> tweet us your pictures of your high scores and whoever has the highest score on the 4th of March 2016, that's a month today, um, I will send you a t-shirt. Can Sweet. I just say, I've, I've just got a debut score of 49 points. That is... Good work. I died that's up away. there. I think my mum's got better than that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so did I say the name? Yeah, so the game is called Space Beer Cave. If I'll put it all in the show there. notes and everything, along with the competition, because that'll be, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, so are we, I don't think we're eligible, are we? I don't think it's fair that we, because uh, I will play this until my fingers go numb. If, if I'm going to win a t-shirt. Fine. Oh, wow, okay, it's game on again. Oh, there we go. You just got a high score. I know that I, I got 83 <laughs> points. I want my doing oh. wrong. Uh, so, so, Lee, how have you been, man? What have you been up to? I'm struggling with Space Beer Cave more recently. <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I've been flat out pretty much since Christmas, I think. I've been doing probably 12 hours a day, five days a week for the past four or five weeks I guess I mean I'm right in the thick of probably the biggest website that I've ever been involved with so yeah you able to talk about the, the website and the the spec or any anything about yeah, it yeah it, it's um it's a property consultancy in um for Maida Vale in London um yeah. and yeah they've basically they've got a commercial side and a residential side and the commercial side has not been too bad. That's just basically properties and your general kind of news area and contact pages and about the company and everything else like that. But the um, the residential letting side has been the really, really intense uh, workload, basically. It's been um, yeah. integrating with this Vibra API and getting all the data in through that and then um, tying it all up with um, with Google stuff and maps and filtering out all the data onto the website and then making it using react and making oh, it interactive cool. and yeah i've been i've I, I tell you i've been basically three of my tasks for this year were to start doing test driven development start using react yep. and um start using es 2015 and that's that last one's the one i'm not there yet but awesome yeah i've um so I've are you tdd with your javascript as well no <laughs> just okay just uh just php unit as well mainly um, oh, yeah asserting true and asserting equals but yep. it's 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 certainly added value to what i'm doing that's for sure and i and oh, it, completely the things that people are saying about it like how addictive it is are, are so true and yeah seeing that green uh, so what what influenced you to kind of get into the tdd kind of stuff at the beginning of this year uh the fact that obviously it's such a hot topic within the well in the web community not just php i guess and just the fact that I never really got to grips with it before, and, and this was the year to to finally get my head around it. And yeah. I, um, uh, Jeffrey Way on Laracast redu- uh, produced a video series on on, on it, and um, Adam Wadden, the guy from Fox yep. yep. Radio, did a video on it as well. And I watched those two videos, and just suddenly, suddenly it kind of clicked. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, because he's he released yeah. a couple of really good uh, videos, hasn't he? He's kind of been the good beginning of this year. He's got, uh, Adam Wadden's kind of released uh, some really. Like three, I think, like it's, testing yeah, related. It's, it's nice that they're, they're finally kind of responding to, I mean, I've certainly said on this podcast a few times that kind of the barriers to entry for test-driven development for someone that's never done it before, just the, yeah. the resources just don't seem to be there. Oh, so, it's just really um, daunting as well when you first look at it, isn't it? It's kind of like, that's, that, yeah. 
yeah. it's flipping what you normally do on its head you know essentially yep. kind of looking at it from the inverse exactly yeah and, and did you have the was your first instinct when you heard about test driven development like because i know it was with mine before i started doing it's it like oh but that's just writing more code to write code and it just it didn't seem until i got my head around oh yeah no this actually is hugely beneficial it was it was very much of like oh, that's, yeah, that's a good that's a valid yeah. point i mean it's more code to go wrong if you can if you yeah. look at it in that kind of pessimistic way it is isn't it like it's more <laughs> yeah. code that's like oh great you i've got to maintain you, you do start thinking that when you realize that you have to rewrite your tests if you've yep. written a test and then suddenly your code changes and you're like, now your test's failing, but it's because the test doesn't match what you changed. Yep. I've noticed that a few times. But no, I mean, I I, I, start, I, I specifically wanted to start using it for this year because it's the most, the biggest sort of code base that I've been working on. So I've wanted to know that it's a lot more, that you know, that it's stable and yep. just just the realisation, obviously, that, you know, this is, a, this is a means that I can identify bugs without having to go through the whole site and yeah. it sounds really obvious exactly it sounds so obvious to say it but I didn't really even think of test driven development in that way before and you know, I think yeah. until you start doing it and you realize like okay here here is a method that I um one of the things I liked one of the things that Adam Wethern talked about I think he called it coding by wishful thinking which is a really right. interesting concept which basically you you write the tests in the way that you want to write the code so you're like designing that API up front, aren't you? Like how you would like the like the finished product to be Precisely on the outside. That. So, I mean, for example, I mean, I've been writing tests for um, like when they create a property or a property comes in from Vibra, I want to be able to do a, a look up on Google straight away for its latitude and longitude and get all the um, the nearest tube stations and schools and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, just as a simple test, I wanted to make sure that if I gave a string of an address, I could get a latitude longitude out of it, stuff yep. like that. So, I don't just just automatically, I found that it's kind of improved my um, just my general code coding skills. Yeah, it's my I always, I always think another major benefit is the fact is the peace of mind that you have. Like, do you know how many times have yeah. we written a bit of code and it's broken? Another bit of something else that was working, and you're constantly playing the seesaw game, and you never find out that this other bit's been broken until a week later when when it's reported to you. And then it's it's just nice knowing instantly that the second you change a bit of code, you run your tests. Oh yeah, no, it's all, all fine. Don't need to worry about anything. So yeah, it's always a bit embarrassing, isn't it, when you you think that everything's fine, you've only changed one little yeah. thing on the site, and not realise that it's broken something somewhere else. Yeah. And unless you actually physically visit that page, you know, you're never going to know until the client tells you or someone yep. that someone else tells you and then it's a little bit embarrassing so yeah i find that those like regression testing because it's when you know like something breaks that shouldn't have broke and i mean it happens a lot too too much really yeah uh, for my liking you know when you think oh yeah no it's fine because it only touched that one bit and then you don't realize the ripple effect of then some random things failing somewhere else whereas you know you have this test suite I mean, and I don't know about you, like, but I'm very pessimistic with my code where I'm like, oh, no, something's going to break. When I deploy something, I'm like, oh, it's going to break, it's going to break. And particularly when you're doing, I mean, I find that the test stuff is very important. Like, you build up with tests. I mean, so I, I go between TDD and kind of testing and testing after the fact, like, you know, and TDD style stuff, I do find, you know, it gives me some very nice designs out of it and things, you know, where, again, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't tested through it through first yep. or I would have had to do some iterations. Um, but what I find actually is the value in the tests are kind of the refactorings afterwards because when i make a change afterwards i can make sure similar with this regression kind of thing that when i run those tests oh it's still working as it should because i do find that oh you know a lot of the bugs that i get and then that actually go into production are things where i've tweaked something because i wanted to make it better maybe i've done a refactoring maybe i've just done a tiny change 
I haven't got a test on that because I just designed it up front. It's it working in production, but because I haven't got a test for it, I can't, you know, test that it, you know, that it's a certain that it's doing the exact same thing as what it was in production. I put it up live and it doesn't work. And that's where, you know, really what I should be doing is if it if it's not under test first, I should make a, a test that I can replicate uh, before I did a refactoring, which is what I do in some cases is where I'm like, okay, I've got a test first, then I'm able to do my refactoring and I can be assert that, you know, obviously the test is still working as it would be in production. So it's, yep. it's, yeah, it's that fun thing of like, I don't know like about you guys, but I do kind of, I TDD a bit, then I don't TDD a bit, you know, I, then I just do testing after the fact. Um, and then I kind of, uh, wishy washy with it where I'm like, where's the value in some tests, you know, like simple crud stuff. Sometimes I don't test because particularly if it's like an admin thing where I'm like, well, you know, they're going to, the value to me adding tests to that is probably not as much as me maybe working on another feature or, you know, maybe, you know, adding code or having, adding coverage to, you know, maybe a public facing part, which is going to, you know, detriment the company. So it's kind of that uh, seesaw game of that where you're like working out where you want to do it. I don't know about you, Lou, have you, have you been like TDD and everything or have you kind of picked and choose where you work with it? Well, a couple of interesting, uh, two, two examples of things that I've test driven and developed. Um, first thing is, I literally I'm testing every single URL on the site just to make sure that it's that it's working, that it's seeing something on the page that it should do. I don't know whether that's kind of considered common practice or not, but it. I think that, I mean that that's a good kind of that yeah I mean that that is a good test to be like an assertion test of like look is the public you know acceptance is there a test broken page somewhere? that's it yeah I mean that's not like TDD but it is kind of around it saying look I want to make sure that is there a bug like on the outskirty outskirts is there a bug. It's a means by which I don't have to manually go through and look at every page on the site, so it certainly does. It works from that point of view. Um, but another example of something that I used it for was um, basically when you, if you go onto the residential part of this site and you want to search for a property, you have to enter in like your minimum price and your maximum price and bedrooms and stuff like that. And I just wanted to make sure um, once they'd submitted their search that like the summary of their search, like you searched for a property in in Charing Cross with three bedrooms with a minimum price of blah 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 and you know just I literally wrote that out as I wanted I wanted the result to come out and then I wrote yeah. the code afterwards to produce that's that. awesome and I'd have never done so it are that you way doing before. are you doing this on on the top level so are you basically checking that the output comes out by actually inspecting the DOM and what's output into the DOM or no, are I'm you doing it underneath certainly. the layers just to make sure the data comes back I'm just asserting equals on a string that gets returned. I'm just oh, I've, got like a, I've got a search string property on the, yeah, a the service type thing, yeah. and um, it yeah. just gets built up throughout the throughout the um, throughout the process of whatever the search is, uh-huh. and then it just chucks back at the end whatever it is. That's really cool, man. Yeah, yeah really. it's one of the things I really enjoy doing because ironically, without doing it this way, I mean, how hard would that be? There's just so many different variables, but. Here I can just replicate a whole different load of things and just change a load of yeah. the values that I set into it and just see does it yeah. chuck this back quickly. It's just it saves cognitive overhead, doesn't it? Because it's all these things where you know you test it when you're developing it, but then you don't test it again after the fact. And this allows you to always be testing those things. Like you could go yeah. ahead and check every URL if you wanted to. Uh, but if there's value in having these URLs, I need to make sure that these URLs are all working. Oh, I want to be able to pinpoint a bug. And it says, oh, there was a 404 on this page or there was a, you know, maybe it didn't come back with the correct output. Oh, I can at least then go in there and find it that way as opposed to, you know, yeah, the client exactly, finding it. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happened two or three times. I've I've run through the thing at the end. I've just re- uh, run my routing test, as I call it. 
and it's just flagged up, an error will flag up like in the second to last test or something, and I go, hey, that can't be right, I haven't even done anything with that, and then I'll look at the page, sure enough, it's broken, you know, yeah. Previous, previously I might have missed that, so I think it's yeah. just it's just kind of cleaning up your own performance a little bit, isn't it, trying to yeah. make sure that what you're shipping is as good as it can be. Exactly, and I think another another benefit that I get huge well, I get huge benefits out of it is the fact that it forces you to write small manageable components as well. Yep. Like because yeah. you can't, you don't want to be writing twenty line functions or thirty line functions or even ten line functions. Like you want to be, you, you want to write simple five line functions that are very modular, and uh, yeah, and you can test those, and it it just. I don't know. It, it really helps out with the actual the architecture of the project. I find it's funny because it is when when you find that the test is when you find that testing it is hard. It's actually maybe kind of a reflection on the bad design, as you say. Like you know, with like oh, this function's too big. This is doing too much. This is why I'm, the test is so you know kind of fiddly. As opposed to maybe this needs to be broken up into multiple. You know, I need to abstract this out. Maybe I need to break this up and then make it into multiple tests. As, you know, instead. So no, I completely agree there. That like the yeah. test testing aids the design a lot oh yeah. yes Shall we check in with mickey b we haven't spoken yeah to how you doing mixed up sorry sorry to have been hogging the lime like that no not at all i was just mickey i'm liking your uh your profile picture there as well i thought what is it yeah did you photoshop yourself oh, out man uh, i think what was this for it was for a, i was having a skype call with a recruiter and i suddenly realized like my picture was something like wildly <laughs> inappropriate worse than mine and then i hadn't used photoshop in years so i was like well this shouldn't be too hard. So, what was the background then? I'm oh, intrigued now because me against the wall. Ah, because yes. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, what yeah. are you smiling at? <laughs> that, that explains the smile. Yeah, a few people have uh, made a few points about that picture, but yeah, I need to uh, sort that out at some point. But I'm actually that sounds really weird, but um, I I'm not sure either. Maybe Ed or my uh, mate James are actually going to come and take some. Some photos of me, like Titanic style, I think. So, uh, well, because like I, yeah. I've got caught with you in ages, Fraser, but I'm doing some work for um, for Lou's place now. Oh yeah, and, oh, cool. uh, and they want a picture of me. So, uh, yeah, I need to get something done. I don't really have. Oh, any... to put on the yeah. website, like meet our team kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't really have any like decent pictures. I mean, that's probably due to my horrific face. But you know, like I need <laughs> oh, to get that. Make, a you beautiful need to, face. You need. You Thank need you. to hurry up on it a little bit because otherwise I'll have to use a placeholder and I, I can see Carl Pilkington going on the website. <laughs> I think he's a, well, I was going to say he's a good looking bloke, but that sounds a bit weird. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I need to get that sorted. But um, no, I was really interested to listen to what you guys were talking about TDD and uh, yeah, I kind of listened to you all talk about it. It makes me feel quite bad actually because that was on my list of things to do last week and I started getting into it a little while ago and um, I just got back into bad habits really and um just to just add some coverage like one thing that yeah. the adam watham podcaster he did it with um oh, david Ma- um the guy from um that podcast dave david something sorry i'm completely forgot oh, his name yeah yeah, yeah and, and he and essentially it's just look TED is like the the goal you know of like being able to do something but getting there is hard just get something under test like whether it be a full-on functional test where essentially what you're doing is you're using a selenium test where you're clicking on a button and you're checking the output as a response that's giving you a REPL it's giving you something that you can work from and you know even if it's testing and hitting the database again with these functional tests it doesn't matter 
because at least you've got something because the, the the idea of the test is add value it's not about being the per so i think i've kind of like where i'm like oh but it's gonna be hard to test because it's not gonna you know buy buy and it's gonna make you know all this. no the value of a test is the fact that it's finding a bug or that this bit is important um and just just get something under test don't worry about tdd in it first you know and doing all that just find something that you need that you know you're having problems with that you may be hitting a you know, problem what i typically find is i find there's a bug that occurs and i'm like all right well, i'm going to do some i'm going to wrap this in a test or something you know when you find a bug make a test for it fix the bug make a test that's kind of a good like entry in i find yeah well i think next week i'm going to literally put a day aside just to just stop and just start doing loads of tests on my code and um, and go from there. But I have found, actually, because I've been like building this API, like actually doing things in a restful way has also aided good design because it has kind of meant, well, look, this does this and that alone. It's a very clear boundary, isn't it? It really is. It kind yeah. of takes you really back to basics of like, you know. And you love iOR too. That's uh, one thing on your tweets. That you've, uh... <laughs> well, i tell you what, like this last month, I think I've learned more than I have in the last three years. Like, it's been that kind of in, insane and like, intense. Oh. So, you know, like learning React, as I think I spoke about in the last podcast, stuff was was a bit tough for me. And then and then Flux was, I would say, was harder. I know, like, Edge, you thought, you said, oh, no, no, it's easy once you learn React. That, that really uh, messed my head. So there was that. And then um, trying to get this... Are you pro-Flux or not pro-Flux at the moment? Because you fluctuate... <laughs> You flux away. Oh, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. Well, imagine if our podcast had a laugh track. That would be impressive. (laughs) I guess I am now. I am pro pro flux. Um, But yeah, and then creating this uh, OAuth two server thing, like issuing tokens, and again, that's been quite educational i still probably need it i reckon a couple more days i love to is, is a face. scary beast yeah don't, don't lock someone out for an hour if they can't get that <laughs> yeah yeah but, but the nice thing about the spec of oauth is it wouldn't allow that which is yeah that their kind of bespoke horrible implementation is uh obscurity yeah. uh, security by obscurity with their idea was wasn't it it was that i oh, you can get the token yeah. once and then oh yeah the security is the fact that you can only get it once so oh solid great so now if i haven't got that token due to an error or something then i don't have access for an hour this is um vibra that i'm talking about i actually emailed them the other day ed about this i sent sent them a screenshot because basically i'm having to run a cron job every hour to to hit the api and get the data that i need because of the timeout because if if i miss it say i'm running it every three hours and one fails and then i've got six hours in between or whatever so I'm running it every hour, and I, I literally sent her a screenshot of my last 10 emails, and it was literally successful token, successful token, not successful token, successful, not successful. Oh, yeah. so I was like, can you elaborate, you know, can yeah, you... please let me, me know with your logs why this is happening. Like, yeah. this is your end. Yeah. That's, that is insane. She said, well, maybe the, uh, maybe the, the previous token hasn't quite timed out properly. So, but you said it's every hour. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's the trouble. I guess you, I guess you could put a locket or like a check in to see that you it isn't accessed. But yeah, no, I mean, this is the trouble with that kind of with OAuth two. Uh, you know, it's a great thing, but it also adds extra complexities. Like Mickey, I'm sure you're finding out now uh, that there are different like grant types and different you know 
essentially versions of it um and it can get quite bewildering you know if like well, like you get like the bearer tokens and the authorization you know code types and, and what, what what kind of way are you going with it are you doing the user credentials is that the one like you know the, user the minute i am using the bearer token and uh, i did read up on that and some people saying that's not uh, it's not the best way but it seems like the the one. So, is the, bear, so the bear, bearer token is uh, a client secret, or is it using a username and password, and then getting a token back, and then having that for say like an hour, and Correct, then getting yeah, a, you give it a yeah. username, and password, and the uh, client secret, and uh, and I think also a client ID. Yes, yeah, yeah, so you have all that, and then it then the, the that 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 account there authenticates it, gives you back the token. You can use that for a while, yeah. So that's the user credentials. You also have like client credentials, which I know you you were worrying because I remember you saying like that you were having some worries, thinking, well, what happens if it's like a a trusted source? So you know maybe if you've got two servers and you want to like interact between them in the API, but you don't want to go through all the overhead of them getting a username and password and authenticating that way. You can actually do something like the client credentials, which is essentially just a secret, like a shared secret. Um, right. and then that just goes through um, and then obviously you have the authorization code which is the big daddy which is the one where essentially it's like the third parties so you allow third parties I mean this happens on all like them you know like github and things like that where yeah. you essentially say yeah github on my behalf you can request tokens access tokens um, and then those are kind of long-lived those those essentially those tokens that they get for accessing for creating these access tokens um you can have scopes and things like that where you limit them but again this is getting yeah OAuth 2 is a big thing um it's mm. it's it's massively different to OAuth 1 as well um and we've had like some bits at our work where we've kind of been using it and it's getting you know it, it, a big at first i was like whoa this is crazy but eventually and i know you're using quite a solid implementation as well a php implementation i'll put in the show notes so it's all good yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I say, I think I still need to do some reading. I think what I've got in at the minute, while it is working, probably will need to change at some point. I'm not 100% sure it's it's ideal. But, um, yeah, it's been a bit of a learning curve. And uh, and I guess certainly one of the things that was in my mind was like, well, okay, I get this token, which is great. But then it's like, I need to make sure that's secure somewhere. And then, uh, so one of the articles, I think I, I gave you the uh, the link, didn't I, Ed, for the show notes. Uh, is it Alex Bilby? So, yes, that's the guy, yeah. yep. So he talks about like you know obviously like some people will, uh, you know store that that token maybe in a cookie or something like that, which would be obviously <laughs> just someone just sniffed your traffic. Especially because I mean I suppose that, that one thing is OAuth too. Really, even though it's yeah. not required, it should be run over HTTPS because yeah. of the fact everything is vanilla, like plain you know yeah. requests, and it can all be seen. It's not like encrypted like the OAuth one actually had like some form of encryption. Yeah, out of the box, but yeah. That that yeah. that blog post that really interesting. Yeah, it was really good. He he talks about like making a proxy and just having this sort of thin server layer that that stores all that and uh, just be careful what you you know what you show and what you hide and all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good read actually. Really helped me cleared up a lot of things. So yeah, in between all that stuff, I've been I've been busy and uh, just because uh, like Fraser, I don't know you know that like I've gone full time freelance now. Yes, I do. Yeah. So you're yeah, saying yeah. you're working with Lewis, like, or working for Lewis's company. Are you are you working on the same project as Lewis at the moment, or are you? No, I own uh, him now. Yeah, he's <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> he's uh, mine. Yeah. So I've got like this full time six month project with uh, another good. client, which is my main thing, and then doing some work with Lou, and then um, yep. uh, and yeah, I was talking to uh, our old friend uh, Justin this morning. Oh, so, good stuff. Uh, How's he? 
Uh, yeah, he's doing really well, actually, yeah. really well, and uh, he's just living in his mansion in Wales. So, uh, <laughs> and he's still working for a previous company. Correct. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he's also rammed with um, freelance stuff at the minute as well. Oh, that's so, really good news. Yeah. So, but I've been talking to him about uh, him doing some uh, design stuff for me, like um, when I get new work and stuff. And um, uh-huh. yeah, and potentially I've got some more work today um, for another client in Tunbridge, actually. Oh, so, good stuff. Um, yeah. So, so, and how are you finding it? Are they coming to you, or are you going out looking for them? I haven't advertised at all yet, other than yeah. obviously that message I sent to you guys, and then Lou kindly came back and said. This is so weird. I've just spoken to my boss and we need someone. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I've not advertised at all. And, and actually the reason I spoke to Justin this morning was, um, primarily to see if he'll do a design for michaelbud.co.uk, which I know everyone will be sad about because I mean, that design, <laughs> it stood the test of time. I say it stood the test of time. It wasn't even good when it came out, but, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's responsive and everything. It is, it is actually responsive. Yeah, that's the one thing. But, uh, so yeah, I'll get that done. And, um, that's really cool. Yeah. Cause Justin did, uh, the design for, for my personal uh, website as well. And we were uh, talking my, about that. Your, my little your logo. logo. Yeah. yeah. And I really like it. Like it was, it was awesome. I kind of said yeah. to him, look, send me your ideas. And he sent me the first one over and I was like, I'll, I'll take it. It's perfect. Like, so yeah. he's, he's really good at what he does. Yeah. Really absolutely. Cool. We talked about getting a logo and then, you know, get some like business cards done and stuff. So. Yeah, to uh, to Ed's disgust, I've sold out and I'm going down like the uh, business kind of freelance route. But um, yeah, really you got to make a living, man. You got to make a living. Well, I'm going to keep doing it as long as the work's there. And um, yep. and the other thing that's on my mind is obviously like you guys all obviously still learning a lot of stuff, and I want to make sure that I don't fall behind. So yep. I'll um, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I set aside time for learning, and I'm I'm going to book myself into the PHP conference again this year, yep. um, which is coming up this month. And um, so yeah, I just got to mix make sure I get that balance right of yeah. keep progressing myself. And, uh, and are you working from home or do you have like a, an office or a preferred coffee shop that you're going into or? Sorry, so uh, I work from home, but I'm yep. lucky enough that I know a couple of people in the same building where I used to work and they've, they've both said, look, there's a desk here for you. If you ever want to work. That's awesome. As much that as is want. a great balance. That, Cause that it's really nice to, you, yeah, just yeah. To go, kind of go and get the social contact. Yeah. Not that you kind of like hermited in there, but it's just nice to kind of be in an office where That's there's people that you can bounce stuff off and yeah, completely. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that, that's me pretty much. So that's really good, man. I guess the one we've not spoken to is Ed. Yeah. Hello. Um, Hello. How are we doing? <laughs> are we all right? Yeah. <laughs> you may have noticed I did have so I, I loop back. It's a new product from the guys who did um, Audio Hijack, and it's awesome. Essentially, it's like a virtual soundboard which allows you then to be able to essentially plug in like different things. So I've got my input and then also Chrome going in oh, as a virtual cool. input, so I can then do stuff like when I say something funny. Oh, I need to get this. Is it loopback.io? Uh, it's it's on the website. I'll send you all the links and stuff. But it is awesome. It is very very Come on, cool. Play, play the others. What else you got? Uh, I have cool story, bro. <laughs> Just when I say something that's cool. Uh, and it's a cool story, bro. Anyway, uh, so what have I been up to? So one one thing actually, I have played around with. So I, when I when I recently uh, cleaned up my map, did a clean install, got El Capitan, woohoo! Um, I forgot to install. Well, actually, I missed installing, and it's a really interesting kind of like plugin. 
um, and, and essentially it kind of you know the always on top on Windows like well, well Windows on your on your desktop you know you want to be able to say look I always want this on top like VLC does it and things like that I really like when I've used stuff like Plex I want to be able to like say have like a Chrome window always on top so it just stays in the bottom corner or you know on a different screen so I can just be watching something um, essentially this is it like this this extends your the Mac like window essentially just to have this capability of being able to it's called a flow and it allows you like to do always on top and do some other funky stuff uh -huh. uh, really really useful um along with that actually is a article that i read um and it's quite funny so dropbox does anyone actually use dropbox anymore no no uh it's funny because dropbox like years ago well a couple of years ago if that was like amazing like you know the money in it billions it was worth valued as billions and stuff like that and steve jobs always said that it was kind of a commodity and it would die out and it's kind of looking that way in that essentially what they they you know their their value is kind of just the fact that well their value used to be that obviously they could sync stuff and that you know it's a folder that you could sync stuff well it turns out google do that apple do that everyone do that now because it's a very easy kind of not you know Ident like personally identifiable as a business thing to do yep. um, and there was an article in the New York Times about it like to them talking about Dropbox and I posted that in the show notes and it was really interesting kind of yeah how they're going to get out of it because I mean I don't know what you know what you noticed like so Dropbox did have they had Mailbox and they had Carousel and these two products and um, one of my friends really liked Mailbox and I really like Carousel and these were like they were trying to venture out it seems like what happens is is you know like a startup gets has their you know their golden idea that then they get money from and then they have to kind of work out i mean it's what google do essentially you know find other you know revenue streams and kind of become bigger um and you know mailbox and carousel were their ventures out but both of them are actually being closed down so the only thing that dropbox has is obviously their you know the tried and true storage but also now they're doing the idea of collaboration on documents so essentially they're trying to attack google docs which does seem very weird um not quite sure how well they're going to do there, but it's really interesting reads. So I put that in the show notes. Um, and another thing is, and I don't know whether you use this actually phrase at your work, ESLint? Uh, yes, I am using that, yeah. Well, I, I literally started using that a couple of days ago when we were switching from uh, using Grunt and all the those plugins. I decided to use ESLint rather than JSLint. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the difference is exactly. I don't know. Would, would you know I what think it's just supposed to be more configurable in terms of what you can actually limp for. Um, I've not noticed any difference myself. To be, honest, to be honest, I've not configured it properly anyway. It's just some kind of taking a sample configuration and using that. But it was just, yeah, everything that I read was saying that it was better and more configurable. So I've just kind of jumped on That's that bandwagon. Cool. Yeah, I mean, because we've had that. We've just put it in the code base. We're doing a lot more JavaScript stuff now. Uh, one of yep. the product projects that I was doing like late last year, um, I got it out the door just in time for the new year and then kind of it wasn't that nice so i was able to do a rewrite and essentially it was it's a, it's a react flux um it uses promises heavily and it kind of has a bit of a different mindset to it allows us to react routers so we have like unique urls and things um but one problem i did have with it was testing it um and so what i was able to do which was quite nice was able to fully rewrite it and now I've also this week been able to do a total test coverage on it. Um, and I really want to write a blog post on like how we test our like kind of is it the nice thing about flux and the way that we use it is that there are two distinct things where you can test the actions um, and then the effects on the stores and then you can right. test the components in isolation. And the component in isolation is essentially just kind of contract tests where it's saying, when I click that button, do you go and request that client action or call that? Um, and 
obviously everything in JavaScript is an object. Mo- making mocks and things is super easy and spies and things like that. Yeah. Well, making spies out of them and things like that is really easy. Um, but yeah, so adding in ESLint onto that on top is great because we've wanted to kind of make a standard. And it's the thing is, is like, obviously in code bases, I don't know, like do, do, at your company, do you have like a specific standard on how you write JavaScript or is it really? We don't know. We were kind of looking at taking like the Airbnb one. Um, yeah. And running yeah. They seem to be a big one, don't they? That everyone yep. seems to kind of, I mean, that's great because it, they've got really comprehensive guide and it's, it's hard though enforcing it unless you have like an ESLint or something, because yep. you can then state, look, this is what our rules are. You know, are you yep. failing the build essentially? Yep. Um, you know, and I mean, that's great. And we, we've got that and we're configuring that up, which is a, a good thing for like our JavaScript. But that's because you'll, you'll be able to attach it to your editors as well. So you'll be able to get the immediate feedback. That's while exactly before. it. Um, you yep. know, I mean, that's the brilliant thing about it is, yeah, that you can then see it instantaneously, yeah, instantly. And yep. it won't, you know, hopefully you won't ever go, you won't ever commit code. I mean, you can actually, I think, do like Git hooks that then run it before you add the Git, like Git, um, add, like Git commit oh, something, okay, yep. which is quite cool. Um, and then the other thing, and this is another thing I've been doing this week, is I've kind of been like, we're, we're, our company, we're doing this, it, we're essentially EWOC. I can't, I don't remember what the acronym actually stands for, but essentially it's go through the team. We each have a week where we, and we're like rotating of kind of really like kind of the face of the tech team. And we will deal, yeah. we deal with bugs. We kind of don't do like our main projects. We just deal with the bugs. We deal with liaise with, you know, obviously the other people in the company, deal with problems, kind of small features, you know, any like, if there's any tools, developer tools that we want to make, anything that makes our lives easier, yeah. essentially. Um, and it's been really fun, actually. And, and one thing I've been doing is kind of heavily like finding bugs because we, we have a lot of avenues, like strings of information about bugs. And it's yeah. kind of how <laughs> it's really like kind of how to work with that information. Um, and one of them was like exceptions. And one thing that I don't know about you guys, like I mean, I'm not I used to be quite exception happy. Um, I went for a phase of just exception in everything. Just I used it, I called it exception driven development because essentially everything was an <laughs> exception in my world. Um, and then I kind of went, let, lent back and then I started using, I, I really hated the idea of like making uh, like custom exception classes, you know, where it's like a specific, you know, this did an exception. Um, and I would always like specifically use like runtime exception, invalid argument exception, or just exception in some cases, which was really bad just because I didn't want that extra class. Um, well, yeah. I'm actually feeling the pain of that at the moment because when I'm looking for a new relic at the moment, we're actually finding that we've got like, say, it turns out we had like an, an, an issue with our uh, network provider, or actually, no, it was more of a Postgres issue. We we're actually doing a backup and it was just causing the website to be slower. Um, and there was this couple of issues that some API recalls didn't get, uh, didn't get sent. It realized I was like, Oh, it's a runtime exception. There's a load of them. I looked at them and it was actually is because we don't use runtime exception as the thing that throws all these runtime exceptions for other things and also this had all been merged into one. Um, I mean, this is obviously you can filter on the message. But actually what I've been done is spent some time is actually making some more specific custom exceptions that extend like the runtime. So it's still a runtime exception, but it's just got a bit more description. And I'm actually more in favor now of having these kind of custom exceptions. I don't know about what you guys feel about that, like writing your own, you know, just extending a class with your own custom exception. It doesn't have to do anything fancy. It's just more of a descriptive thing as opposed to, you know, the message that you get. It's just nice to have that kind of class as well. Um, I, I, I don't, don't like it. Use exceptions. Well, I get it a lot in Laravel, like lots of different exceptions. Mm. 
and it does kind of drive me mad to be honest with you but so um, would you prefer like one exception then like type or because i suppose the, the nice thing about different exceptions you can you can catch on them and you can be specific on because you know obviously when i throw on it then i can catch that and know that that is a certain thing i know like python it throws an exception if i can't remember like if you do something weird like oh at the end of a list is an exceptional thing for some reason, which I don't know why. But at like, the end, when you do an end while on it, it actually throws an exception because it's exceptional circumstance, supposedly. Um, but did you just prefer then having that kind of like one run using runtime exception and then just the message kind of explaining it, or do you? Yeah, I, I guess I would get on that route to be honest with you. See, that's interesting. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the right thing, but no, no, no. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, like you say, like in Laravel. So, do you find then that it's just too like? Uh, how do you kind of work with those exceptions? Then is that is it just because it's is it just because you're then having to try and catch all these different exceptions, or do you just go back up to like I just want to catch the exception essentially? Yeah, exactly that. Really, you can I, specify what how you want to handle each exception. That's it. Yeah, which is quite file. that's it. Which mm. is quite nice. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting then because I found with the debugging, like having this extra information is just a win um you know it's it, it it's funny how i i when i put my dev hat on and i'm trying to code something up as opposed to when i'm going through my you know debugging and actually speaking about that actually i'll, I'll send a quick some couple of tweets out with me and when me and mickey spoke probably it was an episode ago two episodes ago we mentioned we, we kind of brought up the idea of like it being in the zone you know when you're in the programming mm-hmm. zone and stuff yep. um and a guy uh his name is eric silver uh, he he he, he uh, messaged us, and it was really interesting, actually. And he he, he said, uh, "Brilliant last episode. Thank you very much." Uh, the Zen Zone flow is a real thing. Interesting that it occurs more often with new creative. Oh, let me new creative. This is part one of part two tweets. So, right, right brain. All about the left yeah, development, right brain. yeah, development, right brain, then bug fixing, which requires logic, reasoning, troubleshooting in the left brain. Because we, we were, I was mentioning to Mickey that you know I can actually listen to music and podcasts when I'm developing, as opposed to if I'm debugging. And I think you know it's another thing with the mindset of like you know when I'm in my de- debugging zone, I think completely different as into my development zone, where yeah. that extra. Can't, like that extra thing in the develop when I'm developing, I'm like, oh, I don't want to add another class just for an exception. But when I'm debugging, I'm like, I need as much information as I want, as I need, and I need to better filter it down quickly. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, like kind of thinking about that. Yeah, definitely, I, I completely agree with you. Where do you bring burnout into all of this as well? Oh well, that that's another thing. I mean, <laughs> they follow but, hand in hand very closely. Yeah, well, being in, yeah, I mean, the funny thing is within the zone is you only get in the zone for so long, don't you? And then burnout is like continued pushing yourself. Like you're kind of it's like tech debt essentially because you're kind of with a project. You know, if you're like pushing deadlines and you're like, oh look, you know, we've got to get this out the door. We've got to get this out the door. Okay, just cut some corners essentially. I oh, don't write a test there. Don't write a test there. Blah blah blah. Essentially, you're making tech. You're making technical debt, and eventually, you then just have to kind of. I can't remember what it's called, but it is just essentially go bankrupt, and you like rewrite the whole code base if if you need to. You need to go yeah. bankrupt. There's too much debt in here, um, or you then have to kind of pull back and then be like, okay, well, we need to work through this tech debt. Uh, I think it's the same thing as burnout, where you kind of push yourself for too long, and eventually you either blow up, which is burnout, or what you need to do is you need to start thinking more. Okay. I'm going to have to say I'm working there to there and doing hours. I know you felt that, Mickey, didn't you? And you actually, if you quantified it with like hours that you work, you find it a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I have to use, I used to punch time on Trello just to, because you often think, oh, I've just done no work. Then actually, when you add it up, you have actually done a lot. It's just that it's that developer attitude, isn't it? You always think like you should have done more in the day, I guess. Yeah. Do you guys ever get that thing where, 
it might come out, you know, you might have been been in the zone for a while, but you might come out the other side of it where you'll just literally be sat there and you completely lose track of everything you're doing. Oh, I had oh, that. Yeah, yeah, I had that today because like, I was <laughs> thinking way too hard. And then I was trying to have a conversation in the last half an hour with like, me and uh, this one of the other guys at work were pair programming. And it was on quite a, quite an intense thing. And then I got to the end of it and I couldn't even speak a sentence. It was pathetic. Yeah. Like, I think you've you got so many different things in your head. You're trying to figure out so many different things in yeah. one go that they, they all just get in each other's way. Yeah. yeah. That's the only I'm way I can sorry. think to explain it. I wonder what the technical term for that is. <laughs> uh, brain jabber. <laughs> uh, one thing, actually, Fraser might ask you, like, how, how do you deal? Because obviously, on this side of like kind of errors and debugging, how, what do yep. you use for logging at your work? Like, do you have a couple of solutions, or do you just go with one? Honestly, I don't know. We don't do any logging on the front end, um, obviously, um, but the back end have logs and they seem to be able to log everything that goes on. Anytime we get a back end error, they're always pulling up logs, but I haven't got a clue what they Well, that's it, because it's equal. We've actually, because we've been playing around with front end solutions. We used Airception for a while and that just became a bit right. too noisy and not really that great. And it, the, the, yep. it never worked with stack, like, because obviously you have the source maps because you minify your source you yep. then need to go back to your nice view yep. uh, but we actually say now and you should project stack actually uh, check it out because it's really good track js really useful um and it's given us some really decent kind of you know because obviously you can't test everything we all kind of debug and test yep. on like chrome and we may be nice and test on you know other browsers uh yep. you know i mean we've got the firefoxes you know we've got the We've then got Edge, but now the old browsers like IEs and stuff. You know, we're not going to test them all all the time. And I mean, yep. this something like this where you can see it in product, you know, it, it produces really good dumps. And actually, there was a really interesting JS Air uh, podcast that they released a couple of weeks ago where they talked about debugging. Well, actually, no, sorry, they released this one to this week, and it was really good, interesting talking about debugging. I really recommend that as well. I'll put that in the show yeah. notes. Like, really interesting yeah, to interested. see. This is probably going to be a really elementary question, but what do you? How how does this track JS thing work? Does it? Is it another call out to their servers every time there's so, something? Or? Yeah, so essentially what happens is is that um, uh, JavaScript does handle errors, like you have the on-error handler and things like that. Um, uh-huh. yep. But obviously browsers deal with it a little differently. And essentially what this does is if there's an exception or an error or, you know, it throws and it can't be handled or something bad happens, maybe like a promise is rejected, like all these all these errors, essentially what it does is per the browser, specific browser, it will find as much information about that context of like, you know, what Ajax requests were being run before it, what right. buttons were clicked, uh, what state was I in, pulls that all in, sends that off to them, and then we're able to, you know, kind of look through it and categorize yep. and work it out. And it really is useful. Like, wow. I do find, obviously, you know, the clients, uh, the, the server-side stuff, the login for that is very good. And, and they were actually talking about, you know, like, with a log with server-side stuff, you know, you, you control the environment more. Um, and you also, you can kind of, like, do memory dumps and things like that they were talking about, which is really cool, like, attaching and then dumping memory dumps of, you know, a process. Whereas yeah. on the browser you can't really do that um and this is like the best thing you can do but really recommend okay. it You're, it's it's great because we can also attach metadata onto it such as like what right. the u- who the user was yeah. um we've got stuff like the interface it was so because we've got quite a few like javascript applications now yeah. on the front end it allows us to kind of abrogate and work from that and you know if i, I can see all oh, there was a bug on something and it's great when you go live and you can see and make sure that things are working as should but no, it's interesting, like, error reporting, we, we have a lot of error reporting. We have, like, JS, well, we have the track JS stuff. We also still use Airception. We've got all, like, Datadog, which is great for, like, aggregating all these informa- all this information for stuff like page duty, pager duty, uh, right. new relic. Um, I, I recommend, like, kind of 
I mean, we are uh, using like the free trials and the freebie versions of them because what's the harm in having it running? Like it's another trigger that could help. Um, it can get into that bit where you kind of have too much information, but if you're kind of clever with it and work with it, like, you know, and work out, you know, what's good for what, you can kind of pinpoint and magnify on the areas of the problem. Right. So, yeah, I mean, working with these different, you know, trying out the free trials and stuff, really recommend it. And also, yeah, you, Mickey, like, yeah. I know that you're working on, like, the server stuff, like Postgres stuff, you know, Datadog hooks into it, New Relic hooks into it, and you can see, like, slow queries and things like that. Oh, really? Okay. All right. I'll check that out then. And it's great. I mean, some of these things, I mean, like New Relic, essentially you just install the, a, well, the, the package essentially on, you know, your Linux distribution and then boom, it's just running and it started, you know, checking memory and things like this. And it just does all the stuff. And then you can go into the more advanced stuff, but it's really interesting. I mean, that's actually a funny thing before we wrap up is, uh, your Postgres love, Mickey, because you've, you've had some pain from the, uh, query planner, the black box of a query planner in a database. Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah, I guess a lot of it wasn't like Postgres's fault. It was more the fact that I was playing with these huge data sets. But like, um, you gave me a good shout and you were like, well, stop playing on your, your home <laughs> <laughs> environment and, uh, put it on a dedicated box. So I did that and that gave me, um, huge improvement. And then the other magic thing I did was just vacuum and reindex and explain, analyze. Well, yeah, that, um, but yeah. The, the whole the vacuum maintenance thing and the re-indexing thing, I suddenly found my queries were like running like lightning, whereas before they were dog slow. So um... I'll, I'll give you a painful story. Actually, my boss told me today, and it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so we have a query running, and we were like, "Oh, this is interesting." Like this query, you know, it, it does some stuff, and we limit it to a, hundred, a thousand records. So it goes and gets a thousand records. Um, we then have this feature, like on a command a flag, to say, "I oh, only give us one of them, just so we can test it to see if it works." Yeah. Getting a thousand records took milliseconds. Getting one record, limit it to one, took us probably about, I, I don't know, a lot longer than that. Yeah. And we're like, why is this? Why is this? It's getting one instead of a thousand. And it turned out the query planner had actually chose a different route and not used the indexes for that limit one. But for the limit a thousand, it used the, the route that we expected it to. Honestly, yeah. query planning and database, that, the black hole, it's so scary. And the, it's the, it's amazing how, you know, uh, incorrect index or, you know, if you don't tweak the query enough to, like, kind of optimize to use that index and nudge it in that direction. It's it's funny. It is kind of voodoo black box stuff. It's, it is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I had similar things to that, didn't I? Whereas, like, if I had results, it was come back really quick. And if there wasn't, then it was just literally... I think it was just trawling the whole the whole database, and I had like, what was it? I think I had like 190 million rows, and it was just painful. But um, yeah, it's just there's too much to learn and too little time. That's the problem, isn't it? But that's life of the developer, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, so, has anyone else? I think we've had probably over the hour mark. Has anyone we've gone else past got... our 61 minutes? We have, haven't we? Oh, Damn it! Yeah. Yikes! The average is going up now. Apologies. Has anyone got anything else to say? Uh, no, just that I love you all. <laughs> I love you too, man. It's been too long. It has been too long. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna make more of a, an effort to to make this a regular thing now. Anyway, because uh, now now everything's settled down. But yeah, awesome. And yeah, we'll. I guess we'll all speak to you next week, hopefully, or, or, or majority of us. Goodbye, then, audience. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to three devs and a maybe. You can contact us at contact at 3devsandamaybe.com or follow us on Twitter at the number 3, devs and a maybe.